Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to The Front Row. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. It is not quite the dog days of summer, but you can feel them rapidly approaching. Half the student population in town will go about their way next week, which will make parking much easier for you and I, Keith, when we navigate campus. And eating out at local restaurants. Humidity and temperatures are rising. You did not get up this morning, then. Well... This morning and the last couple of days, notwithstanding. <laughs> Here's the problem. It's so short-lived where we have the enjoyable climate that I don't even appreciate it as I should because I'm still braced for what's coming. But we're about to enter silly season again. And silly season is the period of time between the end of spring football and the start of fall camp when there's no on-the-field news to report on. And so everything off the field becomes a big deal. And what we have right now in light of news that the Big Ten is about to double, triple, quadruple, even more its television meteorites package and still no word on an ACC network is we have entered the sky is falling season for FSU and ACC fans. Because there's no information, so everyone has an opinion. And what I've come to understand about social media particularly is if you have an opinion and it goes on the social media, it then becomes a fact. This is true. It's not true, but that is the way the process works. So, And you tell me I don't keep up with stuff. I know. Well, you just learned that like two weeks ago when we sat here and I lectured you on how it plays out. <laughs> All right, so coming up on today's show, we won't talk solely about the sky uh, falling. And I'm not a sky is falling no, type not guy. At all. Not at all. But this is certainly a significant development on the landscape. And uh, if you're not familiar, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks a little bit here momentarily. But coming up on today's show, Tim Linnefelt, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us in our next segment. Uh, we'll... I guess uh, I want to say wrap-up football, but the reality is we'll always have a football question or two. But we will shift more of our focus to FSU baseball now that uh, we're at the point midway through the season. I think we know what Florida State is and is not, what it has and has not. And the, the short answer right now is it has a bullpen and it doesn't have a starting rotation. And we'll explore that more uh, with Tim Linnefeld. Having said that, Florida State, if the season ended today, postseason began, would certainly be in contention to be a national seed and it might well be one uh one of the projections i saw today had them as the number seven national seed so the sky not necessarily falling there but we'll ex- explore that but uh, back to the the television contract situation david teal is going to join us uh later in the program he's a sports columnist for the daily press which is in newport news virginia and he's a guy who grew up i believe in baltimore but has covered the atlantic coast conference for 30 plus years uh and and seems to be as plugged into what's going on in the acc as any media member that that, that i've come across in terms of either meeting personally or just following their work online so uh, i don't know that he's going to have any revelations for us but he will have interesting perspective to say the least in light of the reports yesterday which are that the big 10 is a, and it's not news that the big 10 is renegotiating its tv their, deals. their contract is up their contract is up what is news is that if you look at their current tier one rights package they're receiving 112 million dollars annually to the conference this is separate the big 10 and that's 100 million from espn and 12 million from cbs word is fox sports is going to pay 250 million but for only half of for the inventory half of it for half of the inventory which means that uh if you project that the other half commands the same amount which may or may not because it may all halves are not equal depending on which half gets Michigan Ohio State and the top dogs and which half gets Purdue and Indiana and the bottom dogs exactly bottom line you have to look at this and think that the Big 10 is now looking at 350 or 400 million combined when they get these two deals done separate the big 10 and the bigger issue we're getting at no matter what the numbers are is that the gap is widening between the acc uh, or between the big 10 and the sec and where the acc is and that's driven by the fact that the big 10 and the acc have the established networks and that the acc is still in conversation negotiation or whatever to develop their network and uh, the haves will get more and the have-nots will have less uh, i'm not sure if I believe all of the numbers that are being talked about simply because 
you know, it's not a final done deal. Uh, the report out yesterday, as you alluded to, was that Fox was in the running to be uh, the first half holder, and that n- number was somewhere around $250 million a year. It, it might be 200 It might be 300 I don't know. But it it's a bigger number from a multiplication side. So whether it's uh, whatever number it is, it's two, two and a half, three times what they're getting now with another half yet to be negotiated on. And, and it's a bigger number from a division standpoint when you divide that big pot of money up am, among the number of schools in the Big Ten. Yeah, the, 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 what do they have, 11? I, who knows? Count them up. <laughs> you, you, you would think that that I would... I think it's 11. I think the Big Ten no, has 11 no, schools. No, the Big Ten had 11 when they had Penn State all those years. But <clears> since that then, what it was? Yeah, then they've added Nebraska and, and Rutgers. I mean, so they're up. They've got... All right, so I'm behind. You're behind. You're behind. It's it's a shame, and that's the state that we're in that we can't answer those questions. And the Big Twelve has ten. I can confirm that. <laughs> but so so again, I don't want to. One of the things that happens with this, you have to pay careful attention to who you follow and and what kind of due diligence you do on this, because there's a lot of apples and oranges comparisons. So you'll hear that the ACC is getting X amount this year or two years ago when the most recent tax return is out, but the Big Ten projects to get out. 10 times X in the year 2035. So you're, you're comparing apples and oranges there when you do it that way. That said, there's no question there's a gap that's widening. And, and David Teal will hopefully, uh, maybe he'll come on the show and just announce uh, on behalf of Commissioner Swafford that we're just, July 1, we're just going to launch it and see what happens with the network. Another part of the equation that we'll get into uh, in shows to come uh, also has to do with this whole how does the delivery of this come about is it still tied to cable is it through internet access and subscriptions uh is it through some other means that we haven't you know studied yet i'm, I'm still trying to figure out the cloud <clears throat> pardon me that's a whole nother discussion and the decoupling of having to plug something into the wall and watch it on a tv versus some other type of device that's that's a parallel but, well, but I think related the, conversation. I know. I think at the end of the day, that is the reason that there's not an ACC network right now because well we be. don't know what the future is going to be in terms of subscribers and households. And everybody's predicted, you know, uh, I won't say the end is near, but ESPN's, uh, you know, hemorrhaging money right now because they've lost so much of their subscriber base. Not talked about is all the other cable networks that uh, benefit if they're on the same tier as ESPN, and they're getting paid a dollar, dollar fifty, two, two fifty per head for people that are opted in solely to get ESPN. Correct. So, so the cable industry as a whole is going to change when everything gets decoupled. All right, uh, we're not experts on that, but uh, really, what we want to drive at today is, you know, is, is what does this mean for the ACC? Uh, generally and more specifically what does it mean for about we lay some foundation would that be good that would be good all right uh we'll go to fsu next however because tim linefelt will join us uh in just a moment i will point out that uh, this portion of the program as always is brought your way by madison social they do trivia night on tuesdays uh 61 trivia teams on hand last night so apparently they're doing rather well on trivia night and how did you finish uh, i was not there oh okay i was not there I you're just afraid ha- of competition i have what inside you're sources and connections you're that afraid let me know. of competition is what you're saying certainly exactly uh and of course the terrific brunches as this comfortable weather continues before we get roll to the oppressive heat roll the doors up go on out and uh stop spend some time uh, at madison social tell them we sent you all right tim lenefelt up next we'll uh focus the conversation on florida state football baseball and florida state athletics in general when we continue on the front row Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, and we will sink our way, uh, sink our teeth into Florida State athletics now as we're joined by our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. And Tim, the most pressing question of the day is how was pearl jam last week let's hear some details about this show ah, man they were uh they were really great um it's, it's a 
really everything I could have asked for. It was my first time seeing them. I had seen Eddie Vedder solo once, but I had never seen the full band. Uh, and yeah, it was uh, pretty cool. They played all the songs that, that I wanted to hear them play, and uh, and it was, was kind of neat at the end. They just sort of brought the house lights up and just kept on going. And uh, I don't know that there's many bands that could pull that sort of thing off, but uh, but it worked really well. I must say, there's an awful lot that comes across uh, social media, and most of it uh, doesn't raise, you know, I don't raise an eyebrow over. But when I saw that night that you were at Pearl Jam and some others, I guess it was, I don't know if it was a hack uh, convention or convoy over to Jacksonville or whatever, if that's where you saw them. But I was a little envious that night, I, I, will, I will confirm. Uh, it was just uh, just me and my old buddy, Corey Clark. I got uh, you. Who uh, had, had, had a wild hair to, to get over there, and, and I was fortunate to uh, to be able to be his date for the night, so to speak. Don't let him hear I said that. Understand. Did you well, pick up the tab, or does, did you go 50-50? We'll have to talk off the air. Ah. <laughs> we'll uh, move on to FSU Athletics now. For the record, I, I, I have seen Pearl Jam twice. Uh, excellent time. Keith? We'll have to Google later who Pearl Jam is, and I'll explain to him what Google means. But uh, let's get to let, let's get to the fact that there was there's always a chance to talk football. So before we do baseball, we'll do that. And Jimbo Fisher and other ACC coaches were uh, chatting via teleconference with uh, college football and ACC media writers today. I can only presume that you were a part of that. Uh, I'm not sure that anything earth shattering came out of that. Probably the thing that will grab the most headlines is Jimbo was asked about you know criteria for ter- determining his starting quarterback, and he said, "Well, experience matters, but and I'm paraphrasing. Ultimately, the guy who gives us the best chance to win is going to be the guy who plays against Ole Miss." So I think we've sort of been discussing that. But what were your takeaways from his comments today? Yeah, I think that was the big thing. You know, what jumped out to me was I think this uh, this quarterback race, at least you know in April, is sort of being framed as the experienced candidate in Sean McGuire against the the talented athletic candidate in DeAndre Francois. And, and Jimbo Fisher's comments on the the conference call, I said, well, look, you know, Sean's got the experience. But it's not like he doesn't have any talent at all. He's, he's a talented guy who has, has performed well at this stage. So I think he just wanted to maybe make the point that it's, it's a little bit more complicated than just painting, you know, in this corner and then in that corner. Um, and so I, I thought it was good to, to remind that. But at the same time, you know, he's shown time and again uh, that experience counts and, and all that. But if he thinks another guy uh, is, is the better option, uh, he's going to go with it. I mean, that was the case last fall when, at least at the start of the season, uh, Everett Golson earned that designation despite having uh, very little experience, at least in terms of uh, being at Florida State. So, uh, you know, Jimbo's not blowing smoke when he says that sort of thing. Whoever he thinks is going to be uh, – who everything is going to be the best starting quarterback is going to be the guy that's out there. Well, it was amazing to me. I, I saw an article, heard someone talking. The last time Florida State started a true freshman at quarterback was 31 years ago. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I know uh, Francois is a red shirt. If they yeah. were to start Malik in any situation, it's been 31 years since a true freshman. <clears throat> the other thing, excuse me, that uh, jumped out at me about the uh, Jimbo's comments, Tim, interested in your take as an older guy one of the things that uh, coach bowden always talked about was that you cannot lose your position due to injury well sean was the starter he was injured and he had surgery so by that definition he should be number one when he comes back is uh, is jimbo going old school a little bit as well as being modern so to speak uh, I, I don't know. Uh, he did say at his booster stop uh, on Monday in Jacksonville that, that Sean uh, will be the, the de facto number one going into fall camp, but you kind of get the sense that it's sort of number I don't want to say in name only, but it's, you know, he's the number one, but it's, it's hardly written in stone. It sounds like there's going to be a pretty heavy rotation between Sean McGuire and DeAndre Francois, and, and while Sean may start number one on the depth chart, uh, he's going to have to fend off that challenge. So I, I would say he hasn't, you know, say you can't lose your job due to injury. Well, he hasn't lost his job yet. And I think regardless of whether whether he was hurt or not, I think it would be the same quarterback competition this fall. And it, it would have been the same this spring were he able to participate. Speaking of Bobby Bowden, you can catch Jonathan Shalasi with Bobby Bowden on Seminoles.com right now talking a little bit, uh, I guess, historical about, perspective. About he, uh, he went over to Bobby Bowden's house. That's pretty cool. You know, Bobby has always been really difficult to track down. I mean, he changes his number constantly. He's always moving. I don't know how Shalasi tracked him down, but <laughs> I didn't see the feature. But uh, if it's got Bobby, it's got to be good. For sure, for sure. Lots of uh, good old insight from, from Coach Bowden, who has absolutely presided over a number of top draft classes. So uh, anytime he shares his perspective and his stories, it's a lot of fun. 
Seminoles.com, where you can find that. Tim, uh, we'll wrap up the quarterback thing on this. I feel like it's being painted as the uh, – and you, you sort of – open this door a little bit but it's being painted as the young guy that's really talented but might make a lot of mistakes against the old guy who's a much safer play but has some experience when in reality you know Sean's not exactly a game manager and and he still makes mistakes uh so it's just kind of that that's the way this quarterback battle is being described but it's not really accurate I don't think no and and it's weird how how Sean's being painted as this sort of you know low profile safer choice that you know is going to just take what the defense gives him and, and, and not really, you know, take any risk. Well, he's not that guy at all. He, he loves throwing down the field. He has a big arm. He loves taking chances uh, and, and making the big play. You saw it work to, to great effect against, you know, Syracuse or NC State, but you also saw it work against Florida State uh, against Houston. So, you know, the idea that, that he's just the, the vanilla candidate, so to speak, really isn't accurate. Well, speaking of big arms, uh, where are they? Oh, oh I, I'm sorry. I changed the baseball real quick. Oh, <laughs> uh, they. Uh, well, I assume they're probably getting ready to play Stetson this afternoon, or I guess by the time we've done, it will be uh, probably about what the, the third or fourth inning by that point. Uh, you know, man, I, it, was, it was encouraging last night uh, against Stetson to see a, fi- a start finally get into the sixth inning. But I still think that you know they have some some pretty big questions to answer, and, and I don't know that we'll at least see more progress on that until this weekend series uh, against Notre Dame. Uh, you know, starting pitching, it's been. Uh, it's been an issue, uh, and it wasn't until last that a Florida State starter hadn't made it in, made it out of the fifth inning, or made it into the sixth. I guess I think Mike Compton went into the sixth one time and didn't report any outs. Uh, that's got to change, obviously. Uh, Florida State's bullpen has been good, but you lean on them that much uh, over the course of a long college baseball season, and, and you know they're going to start feeling the effects of that as well. So FSU obviously needs to get more from its starting pitching, and, and what the answer to that is, uh, I, I don't have it offhand, but it definitely needs to change. Well, I don't know what the answer is short term for this year, but regardless, or, or even though this year is sort of opposite of what it's been for many, many years, which is solid rotation, but maybe not enough arms in the pen. And this year we're in the opposite uh, sphere, if you will. The The real crux of the issue is not enough arms to get you through as many innings as you need. And I know they, uh, to be fair, they were dealt a significant blow with the news, uh, with those dreaded Tommy John words when they came out uh, a week ago. But... Uh, you know, do you is that too harsh or critical, or is that a recurring theme in your mind too? And how does Florida State fix it if it is? Well, I think you know part of the issue is you're in a situation where you're relying on freshmen to be a big part of your pitching staff. You have a fifth year senior in Mike Thompson, but other than that, you know you're relying on a guy like Cole Sands who's a freshman, a guy like Tyler Holton who's a freshman, and I think you know a reasonable reasonable amount of ups and downs are are totally fair to expect uh, from from freshman pitchers, but then the, the question is, you know, how do we get to this point to begin with? And obviously FSU's had some bad luck uh, over the last couple of years with, with guys leaving or guys getting hurt, but uh, it's a precarious position. And again, when, when, you're, when you're having to rely on freshmen, and we saw this a little bit with the men's basketball team uh, earlier this year, there can be a lot of highs, but, but the consistency isn't necessarily going to be there. And I have no doubt that Cole Sands and Tyler Holt are probably going to be really good pitchers. Uh, but right now you're just kind of having to – you know, ride that wave of, of being freshman, whereas you might prefer to have, oh, I don't know, Boomer Bukowski back for another year uh, rather than off in the minors where he is. So it's it's just kind of a a, a strange place where they have to be. And and again, I don't I don't know if there is a, a quick fix other than just letting those guys work through it and continue to develop. Well, and that leads to some of the minor criticism I've been hearing is why don't you just leave the starters in longer? Make them go into the fifth, the sixth, or the seventh inning, and and let them work it out themselves. Yeah, I, well, that's kind of been you know one of the critiques for for several years now. And if you'd like to think, especially in those early season games against you know the the Hofstras and Rhode Islands and whoever else, you know, if a guy gets into a jam, especially a young guy, you know, let him get out of it. But you know, Mike Martin will be the first to tell you that that he's competitive, uh, maybe even almost to a fault, and, and he wants to win. And if he thinks that you know leaving a guy in there, even in an early season game, it's going to hurt their chances to win. Uh, he's going to have a hard time leaving them in. So uh, that's just kind of the philosophical thing there. We'll, we'll see if that changes. Uh, but you know, for now, it's just you know let them continue to develop and, and hope you can ride those waves. 
Of course, we could go to the watering hole of uh, our choice right now and line people up, and half of them would say that he leaves guys in too long, and the other half would say <laughs> that he doesn't leave them in long enough. That's just one of the. That's part of the hindsight second guessing that goes more with baseball, maybe than just about any other sport. Yeah, I mean the expression. The expression is Monday morning quarterback, but really it happens more with baseball than any other day sport. after baseball fan. Yeah, it's just kind of the uh, the beauty and the charm of of baseball. Well, you know, having said that, Tim, they're sitting at 10-4 and four in the ACC right now, and I know it was a dreadful weekend at Wake Forest to lose two of three at Wake. Uh, you know, what in your mind right now, we, we sort of put this question on hold for the first half of the season, but we're halfway through the season now. We know what FSU is and is is not. What do you think the ceiling is for this team? Well, you know, look, it's, it's, it seems like it's kind of a strange season in, in college baseball, right? Uh, you know, outside of Florida, uh, who has you know, had their share of struggles in the last couple of weeks, at least. Uh, I don't know that there's a, a, a top-class elite team. And, and, you know, you see that when, when Florida State is able to take two or three from Louisville and look pretty impressive doing it, uh, when Louisville is ranked fourth in the country, when you're able to sweep Georgia Tech, who was ranked in the top ten at the time, it, it's obvious that FSU is in the upper echelon of college baseball. It's just maybe a, a question of, of what the top end of college baseball is this season. Uh I think you know you absolutely can your sights on a super regional. Now, whether or not FSU ends up hosting that super regional, uh, you know they, they need to win some games. Uh, and it's in position to host a super regional, I should say. They, you know, they need to probably win some games over the last couple of weeks, especially with Notre Dame, Clemson, uh, and Miami still on the schedule. Uh, and that's pretty important because, as we saw last year, uh, with Florida being what they are and Miami being what they are this season, it's, it's almost certain that you're going to have super regionals hosted in Gainesville. Uh, and Coral Gables, and you know, you really prefer not to go on the road to play in those settings. So you want to do everything you can, if you can, to to get in a position to host because uh, the road to Omaha gets a lot more difficult if you have to go through Gainesville. Which is what it would be because they wouldn't pair up ACC schools against each other in that scenario. Well, in that case, you got to hope Florida State gets sent to California or something. Well, we you know, we kind of laugh about it. We, for as much success as FSU has had and uh, hosted so many regionals, you know, look at like what Virginia did. Would it be the worst thing to be a three seed and get sent to somewhere where maybe the the college baseball isn't as, as heavily concentrated? Uh, and, and, and not have that bullseye on your back and, and maybe make a run. I, I wonder if there's something to that. I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know, I've never, uh, in fact, never liked is not strong enough. I've, I've hated what the NCAA does when you have a super regional in making the home team become the visiting team and not have access to its clubhouse. And, and I mean, Setting if you, the other dugout. If you, I mean, oh, when you watch the big leagues, they're not doing that. I mean, if you earn the home field advantage, play with the home field advantage. So obviously, if you go on the road, you don't take your crowd with you to the same degree. But I don't disagree that that wouldn't be a bad thing necessarily, Tim. Uh, the, the problem is if you get sent on the road to Gainesville because it's two hours away with the arms they have, uh, not just the arms, the way that team picks at defense, that's just a really, really good club. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the same as a women's basketball team getting sentenced to the UConn bracket, but you know, I don't think anybody would be pleased if they ended up drawing Gainesville as who they would uh, face you know, in the postseason. No, and, and as long as the baseball postseason is so heavily tilted toward regional matchups, uh, the southeastern schools where, you know, college baseball is, is you know, the most intense and, and maybe the most talented, uh, you know, those schools are, are going to be at a disadvantage because they're the road to get you know, to the Super Regionals and to Omaha is just that much more difficult. Well, we don't have all the answers. We just have lots of questions as usual. I guess we should give a shout-out to the softball Seminoles, which uh, somehow uh, have have been tremendous this year. I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek. They're always pretty good. But every time I look up, I mean, what's their record now, like 35-4 and four or something? I mean, it's astronomical. 34-4, and 13-1 in the ACC. Yes. Uh, yeah, they are, they are absolutely cooking with gas. Uh, haven't lost a game since April 3rd. Uh, and even that was it was a close game. Uh, big doubleheader uh, today at Auburn. Auburn is ranked third in the country, so that should be a, a pretty fun test for them and a pretty good barometer to see uh, maybe where they're at. You know, they did go to number one Florida last week and uh, played a zero-zero game that was stopped in the ninth inning. So uh, maybe not, probably not a very satisfying conclusion when you go on the road to play a rival like that. But uh, but they obviously uh, more than held their own down there. All righty, Tim. Good stuff as always. We will. Uh, I'll see you at the ballpark this weekend. I'll be there. Thanks, Tom. All righty, our Seminoles. dot com insider Tim Linnefeld. You look like you wanted to add something. Are you good? I'm good. Okay. 
We will take a break. We'll come back. We'll uh, bounce back over to the topic of television money and why it all seems to be going to conferences other than the ACC when we continue here on the front row. We don't need no thought control. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Bach and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Bach and Keith Jones. Welcome back to the front row. Tom and Keith with you. We just finished talking Florida State Athletics with Tim Linnefelt, but we mentioned at the top of the broadcast that one of the big stories out there involves TV media rights deals, and the Big Ten is stealing some headlines again this week about that. Uh, we're going to go to a, an ACC expert in David Teal, who's kind enough to join us now. He's a sports columnist for the Daily Press out of Newport News, Virginia, and has covered the ACC I, I want to say three decades or so, which means you you covered it pre-FSU in the ACC, if I'm not mistaken, David. So certainly you've seen some changes over the years uh, in the just in the conference length. Yeah, just a little bit from back in those days of uh, the quarterfinal Friday for ACC basketball. Thanks for taking a few minutes to join us today. And and before we get into the, the media discussion, uh, just quick impression from you. The, the two programs you cover most closely in Virginia and Virginia Tech both underwent uh, changes, head coaching changes this past year. I'm curious maybe what has stuck out, whether it's good or bad or indifferent uh, out of the, the new coaches, uh, the new regime, so to speak, in the couple of months they've uh, been at the controls? Well, I think our, our, our primary takeaway from Virginia is, is the cultural shift. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall from Brigham Young has bought, has brought, excuse me, some, some levels of discipline not seen at UVA probably since the days of, of George Welsh, the old Navy man. I mean, this guy is as no-frills and as no-nonsense as it gets. You, know, you don't even get to – you have to earn your right to, to even wear your name on uniform in practice. It, it, it is very different in Charlottesville. And then I think in, in, in Blacksburg, with Virginia Tech, the, the primary takeaway with, with Justin Fuente would would just be more X's and O's and tactics, especially on on the offensive side, and the desire for you know Fuente to to run a more up tempo offense, which he used to such such success in, in Memphis with Paxton Lynch. I'm curious from your perspective and where you sit in the programs you cover, because obviously we're in Tallahassee and football is king and and has been. And uh, we're also in the same geographic footprint of the SEC and Florida State's bitter rival is in the SEC in in, in Gainesville. So that's uh, where a lot of the questions come from among FSU fans about the, the media rights and whatnot. How much, uh, you know, we, we often have the discussion, how much is, is basketball grown or are people more basketball fans because Florida State joined the league? From where you sit, how much bigger a deal is football right now at those schools in that part of the ACC territory? Well, Virginia Tech is, without question, a, a, a football school. Uh, that That's where it, 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 its fan base is, is most interested. Uh, in, in Virginia, uh, I think you could make the case, especially with, with the success that, that Tony Bennett has had, that it is more basketball-centric. But I think everyone at, at Virginia, from the administration on down, understands the necessity of being far more competitive in football and the reality that football drives the economic engine of all college sports. David Keith Jones here. As it relates to that that comment, the economic engine, one of the engine drivers is uh, a network. Uh, I know you can't do it, but in, in 30, 45 seconds, if you will, uh, give us uh, – wh- why does the ACC – why do they not have a network right now? They weren't in a position to have one uh, before now. Uh, not until Florida State and then Clemson uh, returned to national football prominence. Uh, was ACC programming that much in demand? Uh, not until 
Syracuse, Pittsburgh, and Notre Dame uh, were added to the to the roles. Did the ACC have the type of geographic footprint that would probably merit uh, a network? And and also, the ACC just wasn't in in queue as early as as the SEC uh, and the Big Ten. And clearly, any potential ACC channel is going to be in partnership with ESPN. And ESPN's first priority was launching that SEC network. They weren't going to do two simultaneously. And having the SEC as the priority was the, was the wise thing to do. And they were on a roll where they were winning the National Football Championship every year. And, and having now reached a, a level of success, at least with Clemson and Florida State, again, the, the silly, broad question, uh, what's going to happen next and, and what's going to be needed for something to move forward? I, I think things are moving forward, guys. I, I know it is painstakingly slow, especially in the eyes uh, of fans and, and perhaps those in the athletic department who are gazing at, at, at the books every day. Because uh, clearly, I mean, every college athletic director will tell you this, but I think especially those in the ACC, is that they need an infusion uh, of, of revenue. And uh, I know that, you know the ACC is working with his consultants, particularly Dean Jordan, and he is, he is as good as it gets in this business. He was a consultant with the NCAA on its new deal with CBS and Turner that extended the, the, the basketball tournament uh, rights. So I, I think the ACC has the right people in place with working on this. It, it, it just takes time, and John Swafford and his staff are not the type to give public updates. Um, they're, they're, they're just not going to talk much until this project is ready to, to launch. Well, I imagine it'll be when the news comes, it'll be the same way that new schools join the league. Nobody will know it's coming, and boom, there'll be a press conference, and Syracuse will be in the ACC or whatever the announcement is. Hey, David, I'm curious, uh, you know, it was, it's probably been about a month or so since West Durham was on a radio station in Louisville, and uh, I don't know if he misspoke. He, he later uh, kind of retracted the comments, and we've had Wes on this program before, but he implied that there was – uh, $45 million pot of dollars that was going to go to the ACC if a network wasn't in place by July 1st of this year, which equates to $3 million per school. But since then, nobody's on the record saying that's true or false or coming. Do you, can you confirm, deny anything like that is in the works? I certainly don't know any number uh, regarding the $45 million. All I can tell you is what John Swafford said to me at last year's ACC football kickoff. Uh, in July at Pinehurst. We were, we were sitting in a room and, and talking about a potential channel, and he said the other option to a channel would be higher rights fees. Now, what I should have done, and I didn't, and, and shame on me, is I immediately should have pounced and said, and not that he would have answered, is there a clause in the contract that, that guarantees you more money if there's no channel? Uh, my sense and my hunch is that there is what that number is. I have no idea. Well, you can be sure that uh, when we're all gathered in Charlotte this year for the ACC kickoff, that there will be questions aplenty about the ACC network again. We're talking with David Teal, uh, sports columnist for the Daily Press and Newport News and, and an ACC uh, insider, really, and appreciate a few minutes of your time. Let me Let me ask you this, David, and this goes outside of the – uh, the TV network stuff, except that, uh, as Keith Jones will point out, if something like this happened, it would allow you to go in and renegotiate the contracts. Uh, is, is there still hope, effort, anything that Notre Dame would ever go all in, or is that just complete pipe dream based on the fact that they still have their own network and thus no real need to go all into the ACC? I think the only way, guys, that Notre Dame comes on board with football is that if the Irish believe that their access to the college football playoff is compromised by independence. Meaning if Notre Dame were to go 11 and one in back-to-back years, say, and end up at number five or six and left out 
of the CFP semifinals, lacking that conference championship that the selection committee values, lacking that 13th game. That, to me, is is the only reason uh, for the Irish to come all in. Do you foresee another round of conference uh, realignment, if you will? I asked this looking at it, not necessarily if the – I don't know that the ACC would get another school unless Notre Dame came all in, but right. it still seems very curious to me that Missouri's in the SEC East and not in the Big Ten, and the Big 12 obviously has issues with its TV contract situation. And uh, it, it seems like people are afraid to not make a move, so thus they go make a move. Now, that's slowed down a little bit, but it, it just feels like another round is imminent here in the next couple of years. I think it all hinges on on the Big Twelve guys. I mean, are are they content with with ten and their round robin football schedule? They have the option now to play a football championship game if if they so choose. Even even with just ten, will they do that? You know, how how will the Big Twelve's access to the college football playoff uh, evolve? And then, what about the playoff itself? Does it remain at four teams? Does it expand to eight or maybe six? Uh, I, I think all those factors weigh into to the realignment equation. David, one more philosophical question relative to, to the network. Uh, Tom and I have talked about that um, with ESPN losing subscribers and the traditional uh, plug-in-the-wall be tied to a uh, cable network is is – part of what the ACC might potentially be looking at, not necessarily, well, I guess it would be waiting on, is whether the platform for standalone internet access, uh, other device access, not tied to the cable companies, and how that whole medium develops uh, factor heavily in, in what's going forward as well. I believe you're absolutely right. And I, I think the, the, the conference would, would be foolish uh, to, to jump into jump into anything and uh, projecting technology is is difficult at best and is for people far uh, smarter than I. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you certainly have to try and, and figure out, you know, wh- where that market is going to be. More and more folks are just plugging into Netflix and such. And, uh, that's where they get their their video content, but but also you know let's remember there's nothing that that, that drives uh, television audiences like live sports. Uh, so in, in in that regard, uh, the, the enterprise still has a lot to offer. So the waiting game continues. We were we were counting on you to just break the news that the network would be launched by July first. So we'll have we to thought have... John had called you this morning and told you exactly what was going to happen in the next ten years. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't work that way. And in my sense is, guys, and I think people may may look at you know May spring meetings at Amelia Island is perhaps the the venue for some news. I don't get the sense that they're that close. Well, I think you're exactly right, and, and as long as Swafford is in in charge, and we alluded to it earlier, they, there are there are no leaks out of that commissioner's office, and uh, when things are ready to be announced, uh, they go forward and they announce this is what is happening, not this is what we've entered into or this is the timetable. It's this is happening on this date. That's just the way uh, Swafford likes to run his office. It absolutely is, and at the risk of rambling, just a real quick story. When John Swafford and Jack Swarbrick, the Notre Dame athletic director, first sat down to talk about the Irish joining the league, one of the first questions Swarbrick asked was, what are we going to do about leaks? And Swafford looked him right in the eye and said, there won't be any leaks on our end. <laughs> yeah, and well, he was right. Exactly. He was exactly right. David, thank you so much for your your insight. Uh, great, great stuff as always. Appreciate your perspective, and uh, we'll see you soon. Happy to do it, gentlemen. Thank, thank you. you. All righty, David Teal, uh, sports columnist for the Daily Press and Newport News. A lot to react to there. Uh, the Cliff's notes. Well, you just listened to the segment, but there's no news yet. He's still optimistic slash confident that the, that there will be something coming, and we'll react to that when we continue here on the front row. <laughs> Thank you.
Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Tom and Keith back with you. Thanks for tuning in as always. Appreciate uh, Tim Linnefelt and David Teal joining us. Uh, two different topics there, but. Uh, good information, uh, as always. It's what we try to cram in. I started the show, Keith, and mentioned that uh, we're entering the silly season. Uh, and I'm not really joking about that. I also used the phrase, the sky is falling. I am sort of joking about that. But what happens during the silly season is there will be a lot of the sky is falling articles written online in papers and whatnot over the next few months. Uh, not the least of which will be if the ACC does not announce the launching of their network in the May Amelia Island meetings then the acc is going to go away slash or something like from that. an fsu standpoint fsu should join another conference exactly that's going to continue to come up and come up and come up uh, and again if you if you missed the top of the broadcast there's reports this week that the big Ten's new uh tier one television contract uh is going to be much more lucrative than what was already a lucrative deal but uh the numbers being reported is that the big 10 would go from 112 mil per year to the conference for all its tier one rights to 250 mil per year for half of its tier one rights. So you can do the math and figure out that the Big Ten coffers are, are getting filled exponentially. And make sure we don't confuse that's media rights, which is separate from a network. Separate from the Big Ten network Correct. distribution. Two different animals related. Having having said all that, going back to something that hasn't been confirmed on the record, um, but you, as, as I always say, the truth sort of in the middle. But the fact that West Durham a couple of weeks ago or a month ago mentioned numbers that had been reported or talked about would lead me to believe that that's probably somewhat close to accurate, that it well, would be a $3 on, million uptake Well, uptake well based on what David said, what, what I heard David say uh, as he relayed his personal conversation with John Swafford last year uh, at meetings we were at. But by the way, we were not invited to we that room. We were not in that meeting. We yes. were not in that room. Uh, I think there is a a july 1 date that triggers some money being exchanged what that dollar amount is i think is where the big question comes well and to me it makes sense we sort of talked about this off the air we live in a world of conspiracy theories all around that the refs are out to get my team to get fsu that espn is out to get my team or ESPN is only in bed with the SEC because they only think they can make money in the SEC. Well, certainly ESPN is in bed with the SEC because they can make money with the SEC. But what good does it do for ESPN or any of the television networks if they only fund two of the Power Five conferences? If they just completely disadvantage the Pac-12, the Big 12, and the ACC, thus the product isn't as good in those leagues – Ratings go down because people don't want to watch them anymore. I mean, I don't see where the end game, where that makes sense at all. So to me, it does make sense that, hey, there's not a network. We do have to take care of the ACC and at least give them a little more money so it's closer to a level playing field. And despite what appears to be Espen willing to spend any and all money and resources, we also know that Bristol is not stupid. And there are times and will continue to be times when ESPN will let, and, and this is my personal feeling, I don't know how the actual negotiations are going, but that that one half of Tier 1 media rights that we're talking about right now in the Big Ten is probably going to go to Fox. And so people will say, oh, Fox is now getting in there, and, and maybe Fox is going to take over all everything that ESPN is doing. It could also be that ESPN knows that that first half rights, Fox is paying way too much money for, and they don't want to participate in that, and they'll wait and get the second half and with, with with inventory that better suits what they want to do because ESPN didn't get to the size they're at right now by being stupid and throwing money away. Well, and we can share a little bit of inside baseball in terms of Fox because we worked as independent contractors for Sun Sports for a number of years, which was Fox-owned, and, and I always found it interesting when you look at what we would do as announcers, it was always the opposite of whatever ESPN would do. So if ESPN's announcers did literally stood up before the game for what you would call the stand-up, Fox would have the announcers 
sit down courtside at the basketball game. If ESPN had you sitting down courtside, Fox would make you stand up. If ESPN had guys in blazers and ties, Fox would tell you to wear a golf shirt. And so it was just kind of – it's forever been this – Fox has been trying to figure out what works and what resonates, but to me they changed the the script every two years because they haven't caught the giant in the room yet, And which is too quick to catch up. Self-disclosure, maybe you didn't want me to say this, but I'll say it anyway. Uh We have both worked for Fox, and we have both worked for ESPN relatedly. Yes. Which one pays announcers more is always Fox. (laughs) ESPN always pays a little bit less i.e. they're very astute as to what the market will bring. I just share that. Well, certainly now in the current era of ESPN3 broadcast, which really is what the SEC network is built on, and I don't want to get too far into this. How much time do we have left in this segment, Tom? we got a couple minutes. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm going to make up a number. It's not going to be that far off. But for people to know, in the old Sun Sports days, when you televised a baseball game uh, and you think about the production costs, I'm going to throw – 25 grand out there is a number and it may have been 20 on the low end it may have been as high as 35 when you consider a 25 person crew that they're hiring that includes truck uplink truck everything else associated producer director the graphics people the replay people the cameras the announcers the travel satellite time okay so now you're in an era where espn has figured out that you can do broadcast for a cost of 20 percent or less of that because the equipment is at the schools uh some of them are volunteers or students getting credit the fiber is in place so you're not no satellite time. there's not a satellite truck no satellite truck no uplink truck yes and and so for you look at what espn has done with that the, the expense side has gone way down from where it used to be so and what this speaks to uh on seminal headlines a couple of weeks ago I think Corey started the conversation, but they were all up in arms that the FSU Florida game in Jacksonville was not televised. How could that be? The answer, like everything, is money. There's not a setup there to easily televise a game. In Jacksonville. In Jacksonville. In Jacksonville. So, but the games in Gainesville there and the is. game in Tallahassee right. were televised. And so, well, wouldn't it be worth spending the ten grand to, to televise that game? I'm just throwing out a number. It might have been more than that if you had to bring in the truck and a crew to do all that. Well, it would be worth it if you thought you could sell it and get the advertising revenue back, which obviously they didn't. So, I mean, that, that's the answer to that question. And uh, if somebody wants to pay to put the fiber in there, Florida and FSU want to split it because they play a game every year in Jacksonville. Well, then that would make it more doable. And then if they agreed to split the cost, but honestly, but you still got to bring in equipment. And the two schools are splitting the gate or however that arrangement works. I don't think it's split in half. I think the the stadium over there is getting a third at least too. Anyway, uh, we're going a long way to say that the the, the new model ESP, ESPN is even using a model now where they don't send anybody physically to the game. Broadcasters are in Bristol. I mean, not just Bristol. We did two games that year. Florida State played two ESPN televised games this year where Gene and I were present. But the Espen commentators were not. And they don't do Stuart out of Bristol. They've got a setup in Orlando where they do this as well. I'm, I'm sorry. I meant Bristol in and, terms of and the And so as an announcer, uh, that horrifies me because uh, I like announcing games. And, and uh, I can also tell you that it's much more fun to be at the, at game, the game instead of in a studio watching on a screen somewhere. So the, the whole model is changing. Uh, back to the conversation with Dave Teal, I have remained optimistic and confident that there is something coming. I, I'm not convinced it's going to be a channel like the SEC is channel whatever on your DirecTV or your Comcast. Uh, I think the subscription model probably comes into play. And to get enough of the subscription, you probably have to bundle it and put the SEC network in there or other ESPN properties or whatever. It's going to be delivered in a way that's different than we understand now. And to that degree, I think the ACC is going to be on the cutting edge if, in fact, that delivery system supplants the cable system that we all have grown up under. Uh, I'm old enough, Tom, to remember when there wasn't even cable. I know that escapes you, but, uh, you know, I I remember when it was three channels over the air and and TBS was just three initials for a wacko in Atlanta. Uh, And now where are we at? (laughs) Well, I can remember getting cable in the, uh, I don't know, 1979 or 80 or whatever year MTV launched, early 80s, and uh, not being allowed to watch some of MTV programming because it was so <laughs> risque. Imagine, imagine that. Now, granted, I, I was not in my 20s at that point, Tom, contrary to what you may think as you're chuckling on the other side of the glass there. 
I was still a youngin. But uh, yeah, it it has changed. It will well, continue. Well, tell change. you exactly how old I am. I played in one of the first games that ESPN ever televised, FSU versus Navy in 1978, and. There might have been three hundred thousand people that had access to it. Maybe, maybe, and and just you still has the reel to reel copy. Ah, uh, shut up! All right, we'll come back and finish up on the front row right after this. Well, it's in your face really shows your age. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple minutes to wrap up this week's edition of the front row. We could basically uh pontificate on this ACC network and, and the well, future we, of it we, for a we while. But about we, it in weeks to come. If, if we were smart enough to figure out what the next step was, uh, maybe we would have... Uh, we would be the consultant that Swafford is consulting with. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I just have to believe uh, that for the reasons we've talked about, another thing we didn't mention, but when you look at the ACC expansion and the geographic footprint, it's got the big cities. It's got the East Coast. It's got more bigger markets. It's got more people. I mean, there's ever reason to think uh, that you can do something with it and figure out how to monetize it. Well, and certainly Florida State, uh, and, and hats off to Stan uh, and, and uh, Mark Roden and Seminole Productions, certainly Florida State is anticipating continued use and the potential opening up of the ACC network. Uh, and what our listeners may not be aware of, the big scoreboard, that's going into the stadium is going to have its own separate control room. So Seminole Productions is going to end up with two complete control rooms. Well, they're not doing that just to run that big board. They're doing that because that big board gets run six or seven times a year, but they can use that same studio to televise multiple other games, contests, events throughout 365 days a year. So they're making an investment that's above and beyond what might be necessary to just run that board to be equipped and and able to bring content to whatever platform the ACC ultimately ends up with. Can I put that in layman's terms? Yeah. Those of you who asked me why FSU baseball wasn't televised the first couple weeks of the season on ESPN3, the answer is it overlapped with basketball games that were being produced for ESPN3. Only one studio. Exactly. So what Keith is saying is that next year there's there's potential, and this is what I understand as well, that you could broadcast a men's or women's basketball game on ESPN3 and a baseball game at the same time, or if you're looking at the calendar right now, a baseball game and a softball game at the same time. So that that is a good thing for FSU in terms of uh, exposure there. We obviously don't have all the answers. We can confirm that though the Big Ten schools are going to get even richer, it still sucks to live in those cities in the winter. And I mean, not, let's be honest. And they're not Keith. very good in football. Well, and, you know, David Teal, to his credit, he's got an article here. i got so much in front of me, I don't know if I can find it. But this is a – lest you, I'm quoting him. Lest you think revenue correlates directly with success, top five revenue producers from 2014 and 15, Texas and Michigan had losing records in football, and the Wolverines went 500 in men's basketball. And then he lists four other top 20 schools that uh, in revenue that had losing SEC records in football and failed to so make the basketball what, what, tournament. Let me tell you what Tom just said. <laughs> Money's important, but it ain't everything. That's exactly right. However, a widening gap does concern even me, and I don't tend to be an alarmist on this, and I'm not going to tell you that FSU should join the Pac-12 tomorrow like some sites probably will over the course of this summer. All right, he's Keith. I'm Tom. We're out of time. We'll talk to you next week on the front row.